I'm Sam Clements and welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival. This is a podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime and is entirely curated by guests on this podcast. Today, I'm very pleased to say we're joined by Alison S.M. Kobayashi, an award-winning interdisciplinary artist, creator and performer of Say Something Bunny, and director of special projects at Union Docs Centre for Documentary Art. Thank you for talking to us today, Alison. Thanks for having me here on a hot day. <laughs> Such a hot day. And thank you for flying to London to record the podcast. Really uh, appreciate that. Yeah, happy to make the most of my time here. We saw Say Something Bunny when we were on holiday in New York. It was recommended to us by a couple of friends, fellow podcasters, Helen Zaltzman, Martin Ostwick. Oh, and, and it just sounded wonderful. But we felt really lucky to see Say Something Bunny because it is quite a... It's quite a limited number of seats in the venue to us on a whim. We're like, well, let's just see. We're only there for a week. Um, we'll just see if we get lucky. And I think we, we managed to squeeze it in. Did you know what you were getting into? Did they tell you about it or were they just like, go see it in? Not really. It was like, you have to see the show. It's unlike anything I've seen. And then like a very sort of vague kind That's of perfect. idea of the setup. <laughs> so listeners who are maybe intrigued but haven't seen the show, could you give sort of the sort of top line around Say Something Bunny? And, and I'd also love to know... Like how long you've been performing it as, as well. Yeah. At this point, I think we're around 400 times. We've been performing it for two years. We originally were just going to perform it for maybe three months. And then we got a New York Times review and we were like, okay, we're going to like extend it because there was such a crazy demand from that. And so then we added a few, like a couple months of more shows. And then we've just been extending it just because people have, you know, like you have told other people or have you been told so it's really been this amazing word of mouth and it's funny because sometimes I'm like I don't want anyone to know mm. anything about it I kind of just want them to go in blind because I think that it creates an experience where you have no expectation you're just kind of open to like whatever this thing is it's, it's not a traditional theater experience it's mm. really it's a one-woman show it's two and a half hours it's based on a wire recorder that was given to me like back in 2011 and for about six years was just Spending a lot of time listening to it and and then trying to find out who the people who made this audio recording was. And so the performance is really taking that information and relating it to an audience in a, in a, in a way that is kind of like unconventional. The audience is cast as these characters, the kind of surprise of the... When you walk in, is you take a seat, and the seat that you're in is rele- is connected to one of the people heard in this audio recording. And so... That's really fun because every mm. performance is different for me. It's, even though I've done it 400 times, yep. it's diff- It's totally different every time. The script's the same, but what each person brings is completely different depending on their energy or if they like. They might they might be like, "Mine, you were you were George," George and yeah. so <laughs> they might be like, "My dad's name is George." You know, people just make so many amazing connections, mm. and so it's nice at the end of the show. I give out buttons to people, and then kind of get to chat and hear some of those connections. How do you feel if you see someone you recognize or if there's, you know, someone you, like a celebrity, say, in the audience? Does that distract your performance? 
It it can be. It really can be. But I think it's you kind of just have to be like their normal person too. Mm. Like they should be allowed to experience things. We were really lucky to have Ira Glass come recently. This American Life, which is like such a huge radio show in in the United States and something that I've listened to for years. And it's funny because you're so used to his voice and I've seen pictures of him, but like to see someone whose voice is like so part of kind of your I don't know, listening experience on the radio and then see them in person, you're like, wow, it's Ira Glass. And (laughs) he was amazing. He really like, I think that a lot of people in the audience were like, oh my gosh, it's Ira Glass. And so he really was like fun and kind of like a little performative in his role. And like everyone responds to that prompt of being cast as someone and for me talking to them differently. And he was fantastic. That's great. I think having an audience at a game, you know, is exactly what you need for something like this. Totally. Is cinema something that you enjoy as a like professionally or as like a leisure activity? It, it is. And I think it's also, so you mentioned that I do special projects at Union Docs. So Union Docs is the Center for Documentary Art. So it's a bit of a micro cinema in mm. Brooklyn. So I, we're, I'm just kind of surrounded by, <laughs> by documentary. It's run by my, uh, my husband and partner, Christopher Allen. And he founded it just as kind of looking at an expanded form of nonfiction, that nonfiction's not just kind of like your nature documentary yep. or what's coming up on PBS. It it does include, of course, all of those things and social activist documentaries, but it's also there's also space for really experimental work and really trying to look at nonfiction and, and looking at the world around us in reality from a different lens. So I feel like the the film that we're gonna talk about really does that in an interesting way, I think. Absolutely, especially in a public environment like Union Docs or mm-hmm. like this festival, yeah. you know, seeing these films with with an audience, I think, can change yeah. how people interpret it. So, for the film festival, what uh, what film have you selected? New York is a big apple. New York is a Big Apple is an essay film built from appropriated images and audio. The piece explores the complex and contradictory role of the author in construction of society and its artefacts. This is a film from 2010. It's 10 minutes and 32 seconds long, and it's made by Andre Valentim Almeida and Will Martin using only archive footage and found sound, Mm -hmm. which sounds similar to what you've done with Say Something Bunny. So this was actually, it's funny, like, this is this was produced at Union Docs. So Union Docs has a collaborative studio program where 10 to 12 filmmakers, they come together for 10 months mm-hmm. and they make work together. Oh, wow. And so Will and Andre hadn't met each other before doing this program and kind of became best friends in, in collaborating together and really, like, making this piece. And we premiered the work at the MoMA at their Doc Fortnite, which they do every every winter in the cold New York winter. Oh, nice. And the prompt was we were looking at uh, Roland Barthes' mythologies, and we're just kind of looking at these, like, uh, cultural artifacts and, and the mythologies around them, which he writes about in, in the book. And it's very short. It's very dense. What I think is so effective, effective about it is that it creates its own language, and it's not didactic. I think watching it, you're not trying... I feel like you kind of lose yourself in the rhythm and the pacing of, mm-hmm. of the juxtaposition of sound and image, and it, it, it's not necessarily like you come out with, this is what the film is about. Yep. It's about gentrification. It's about dance. Like It's kind of just an experience, and so I just thought it was like a really good example of... of something that's experimental, something that's really using editing 
in such a visceral way. Like, I think it's really something that you you watch it and it's something to be felt. And it, and there's so many ideas and clips and audio. To sort of paint a picture of it, the archive footage is it's many different mediums. There's sort of 16 millimeter film, it looks like some eight millimeter film, some television sort of footage there, all around, I would assume all around constructing New York and, and sort of various uh, bits there. But then it's overlaid with uh, readings from people like there's Cla- um, some Karl Marx readings in there, some Adam Smith readings in there. But they they really do sort of play with how like the experience there's lots of sped up footage and there's a couple of bits where very rhythmically footage is sort of rewound and remixed mm-hmm. which sort of gives it like a musical beat yeah. so yeah so I think there's a lot in this 10 minutes yeah. of film I think it's really interesting too like just the source material that they take is from so many different places and they've just found a way to weave it together that I think it's really about creating this rhythm in it. Like, I think just co- saying that it, there's this musical quality to it is, like, it's really true. Like, it fe- it's it's short, right? So mm. it's, like, 10 minutes. But it kind of feels like you're you're watching more of a, a composition than a traditional narrative film. It's, it's, an, it's an essay film. And it's so what's interesting about this, and I think something that we really try to do with Say Something Bunny is to not necessarily give all the answers that mm. you can create an experience for the audience and it's something that it's it's up to them to kind of make associations and to kind of figure things out you're not like this is what the film is this is what the performance is it's like you you have it and then you kind of think about like what did I just see like what did I just see and like why is this bringing these ideas up in, in my mind and that it, I think that the, there's something about this film that I just love so much and and that's the action that it brings out in the people who watch it So I bought a little city. It was... The Big Apple. And told everybody that nobody had to move. We were going to do it just gradually. Black bottom. Very laid back. No big changes overnight. Am I right in thinking this film is part of a larger piece? Yeah, so I think there may be eight films. There was also an audio piece. There may be eight projects that came out of it. There maybe teams of perhaps two, and they just tackle different ideas of things. They just tackle different mythologies, mostly American mythologies, and we're trying to pick it apart by interviewing people. And one of them was Little Fountains, just kind of why people, oh, wow. so many people in the United States buy these kind of little Zen fountains and they have it in the, their house. And it's kind of, and just asking people, like, what does this do for you? <laughs> and trying to kind of get at that. I think it's funny. It's also so funny traveling because there's so many things that you take for granted by living in a country. This is the way things are. And then you go here and everything's on the opposite side of the street. Mm. And and you, it's so in my body to like always want to be on the right side when mm. I'm like walking down a stairway or something. And so I have to think, I'm in another country. I need to switch to the other side of the stairs. And so there, there are all these things that are just built in that are assumptions of why things are the way they are. And so I think that the original text by uh, Bart's really is like, let's let's look at this. Let's look at how how this came to be. I quite like that using film, especially as an expression of exploring those like small ideas. Like I love the idea of the, the Zen Fountain film. Yeah, <laughs> we just take so much for granted. I think as a someone who lives in New York, does this film? You know, like you, you, you see this every day, and and this film is made up of so many historical images of New York. Is there anything in the film that particularly resonates with you? It's it's funny. I just recently went to the New York Public Library. It's it. I don't think a lot of people know this about it, but they have this amazing collection of sixteen millimeter films. And just as a person who has a library card, you can say, 
I want to watch these five films in your collection. They'll like send it to the library and then you go into a screening room and just by yourself, you just watch these films. And I did this the week before I came to London and watched this film by uh, Steve Spiegel and saw a shot from this film that they use, but in its original context and was just like, that's the shot. Like it's, uh, it's the shot of the train going down the track and then the track ends and it dives into the oh, water. Oh, yes. I mean, it's the um, How the Film Opens. It's yeah. this incredible, like, like less than a minute, but like yeah. quite a long sequence for this film. Yeah. It's such a great way to start the film rolling. Yeah. <laughs> that I mean, that shot, I was like, what, a, what an amazing shot. And I don't even know if he shot it or if he adapted it from somewhere else. Like, it's funny with, uh, with footage, you never know sometimes what the original source is. I'm assuming it's Steve Spiegel uh, shot it. It, it was just really interesting to see the original context of that footage. Mm. And when you see a found footage film, that's kind of absent from it until the credits. And mm. sometimes you see the credits and you don't even know what cre- what footnote is related to what clip. So when you watch these, these f- found footage films, you kind of are watching 70 different films. Mm. And, and you kind of have this awareness of 70 different pieces or wherever they're getting their shots. And then one day you just see it and you're kind of like... I know that. <laughs> this is our first essay film in the festival and, and our first sort of found footage movie. Yeah. And and you do sort of add this, there's this extra layer of production value because it's all of the productions that have fed into this uh, are, are added. And, and it's it's quite a tre- it's quite a rich experience for the audience, yeah. uh, especially when it's taken from various different like times and medias. I quite like some of the sort of more, it looks like low-res television footage yeah. of like apples, really brightly colored oh, yeah. apples in the film. <laughs> Yeah, the apple thing and like, I mean, there's just so many great clips and just how they tie it together, just talking about John and Gold apples. And it's really humorous in a way because it, it moves so quickly and then something they're just like, it's it's refreshingly delicious. And then he like bites into the apple and Mr. T shows up later oh, yeah. and like <laughs> opens, he like kind of throws an apple. Opens an apple with his elbow. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, I think that it, it's just nice that, you know, the the footage it's 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 not necessarily that it's like all over the place but it's just it's not hierarchical in terms of like the quality it's not like everything has to be like this beautiful image it's really like what is this image serving in talking about this idea and the sound is so great i mean just how they use sound i think one of the parts that is quite musical is this clip the audio's girl talk talking about editing uh, like basically like making making like a mix like mixing a song and then that's cut to like this worker like ch- oh, yeah, yeah. like uh, chipping away at like the landscape and the the editing in that moment is just like so amazing <laughs> andre he he's in portugal now an amazing editor and also it's a filmmaker himself and will came from an architecture background so oh, it was wow. like really interesting that like they came together and, and made this piece and wrote it together and edited it together. And I just remember seeing them just like laughing their heads off. Like it was obviously so much fun just creating this. And I think that's the kind of the best kind of work you can make. I think if you're having fun making it, that should by osmosis sort of pay passed on to the audience, you'd hope. Do you know how long this film took to make and also what the process was for them to find the, the clips? Because there's so many sort of snippets from various sources in this film. Well, the program's 10 months, and they probably only made it in, like, like the first part of the program is, I think, much more, like, trying to figure out different teams that can work together. So I imagine it was made in, like, five months or so, or, like, maybe half of a year, but probably, like, very intensely. Mm. I just remember that, that, like, this happened in 2010, so I'm like, it was nine years ago. (laughs) Um, 
But so I think it was it was probably five months or less. And then, I mean, so much of film is our own personal reference and and what we've been looking at for the last few years. Like, I think that comes out in so many filmmakers. Like, if you... I, I was super into Wes Anderson and still, like, a fan, but just would, like, watch him talk about making his films. And he would just talk about his references and the movement of a camera in this shot, in this film. And I just kind of love... Like, we're always kind of looking at looking at the past, looking at people that we really respect and, and transforming that into our own or like digesting that into our own work. And it and it transforms it. Like I don't think that people just copy other sources. They they really like this film totally transforms the material that it it brings into this through editing, through how sound and image work together. Yeah, I really think it's just so playful how they assembled it all. Absolutely. And that process of, oh, does the train clip work better here or here? And they, like just moving one piece can totally change it. And also, I I think I think I said this earlier, just how this film, they really create their own language. And it's really interesting. Like, you see something earlier and it's kind of discussed. And then it just comes back later as just like a, a really quick clip. And then you're like, oh, the tree again or the train you see really quickly. And then it's juxtaposed to something else. And so... These associate like it's all about this kind of associative understanding and learning through film. You do create a different language, and I think we're, I think a lot of filmmakers, especially if you're like a student, can often just stick to the language that exists, and so it, it it's hard to make a new language. It's hard to create a new form, and so I think that that's they really tried to do that, and I think it was successful. Do you know if they've worked together on anything else since this? I don't think that they have. I think that they've stayed in touch as friends, but I think because Andre is now in, in Europe and Will's in the States, it might just be a friendship. But hope I don't know, maybe you know, next year it's going to be 10 years so we can be like, <laughs> make something else. Efficient causation means that an event is determined by an antecedent cause. For instance, John of Gold. It was developed in New York from a cross between Jonathan and Golden Delicious. Hence the name, Jonagold. Explosively crisp. In Union Docks, there's a library of all of the work that, yeah. that you've been making. Work from 10 years ago or nine years ago, does that still get screened regularly? Like, are people able to see this? Yeah, so actually, we one of the biggest collaborative projects that we did, which was this pro this program, I think it's going to be the 10-year anniversary. They were in it in the first year of this program. So mm. it was really like establishing it and figuring out how it worked. And then in the next few years, we started doing a project called Living Las Suarez, which is the neighborhood that Union Docks is based in in New York. It's South Williamsburg. Mm -hmm. It also is called Las Suarez to people who live there for, you know, the last like 50 years. It's a Puerto Rican and Dominican neighborhood. And there was a film that was shot there in 1984. And there were filmmakers, Pamela Yates and Paco Dionis, were like, you're a documentary organization. You live in this neighborhood. Our friend made this film. You guys should watch it. And so we're like, okay, sure, we'll, we'll watch it. And saw this film and was like, oh, my gosh, this is such an amazing document of this neighborhood. A lot of these people in the film probably still live here. And Christopher was like, I think let's start showing it. Like, let's bring this into the community and show it and have conversations with people. And it just spawned this, like, five or six-year project where 
we started showing the film and and recording people's responses and then making films in response to that. So there were maybe like 40 films that the collaborative made over that time that were, you know, some of them were revisiting the original subject. Some of them were looking at the neighborhood today. Some of them were looking at sites in the neighborhood or characters in the neighborhood. One of the films is just this older man older man, Alvaro, who goes around and feeds the stray cats and just following him on his daily routine. Other ones are about gentrification. Other ones are, are about charter schools coming in. There's just unlimited mm. subjects. But when you have this kind of, this film from the past that you can share with people that they hadn't seen for, for like 30 years or something, um, it was quite magical. And so that's one of the other projects. That All of those are online. Mm-hmm. Those films are online. And also uh, New York is the Big Apple, the film that we were talking about earlier, is also, I think, on Vimeo and also on the Living Lusteras website, which is just livinglusteras.com. I think watching this film and then listening to this conversation will be sort of probably the, the right way to, to sort of digest this. It sounds like that neighborhood is very well documented. you got this very rich video, visual history. Anyone can come and watch. <laughs> and it's also just like, it's, it was such a lovely way to be able to connect to neighbors and show that we have an interest in the history that, although we're kind of like a newer organization in in that neighborhood that we weren't like trying to replace them. We were kind of like, can you tell us what it was like before? Because we don't know. We didn't live here then. Also just was really amazing to connect to the community organizations like Alasara's Housing, HDFC, which is really integrated in the housing there, and El Puente, which is a, a school. It's kind of this empowerment school for people who are in the neighborhood, but is like, I think it goes to high school. I think it's junior high, elementary school, high school. And it's this really creative space. And just to be able to go to those spaces for the first time and just see the amazing things that are happening in Las Uras was amazing. Also, just that we could be like, it's called Las Uras. Like, it's not South. It's not like people should kind of call it this way. Developers would want you to call it something else, something yeah. that's more like, it's South Will. I don't know. Like, yeah. <laughs> they do the, uh, the marketing spin. Exactly. <laughs> I tell them dance begins when a moment of hurt combines with a moment of boredom. Just let go and swing with it because it'll always bounce. And uh, what makes you, gives you the sense of going mad is that you think you're not in control. I tell them that it's the refinement of animal lunge and flight, the purest metaphor of tribe and self. It's life flipping death the bird. I make this stuff up. You remember uh, sort of the audience, uh, any audience reactions to New York as a Big Apple? Said what the discussion was around the film at the time. It was really, so at the MoMA, I think that Will and Andre, they, like, had, like, a saxophone player in the audience that just, like, also, I think that he, like, got up and started playing at the point where it really has, like, this intense, like, build. Mm-hmm. People were, were really positive. It was also in a suite of the, the other eight films. So it was just, it was kind of nice. It was the first time Union Docs had been around for, like, several years. I think it started as a official space in around 2005. And it was the first time in kind of a big venue like the MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art, 
that people could come and kind of celebrate it as a space. So it was like, it was so much tied up with celebrating all these filmmakers, celebrating Union Docs, and like kind of seeing the first year of this program displayed. So we felt very fortunate to have such, like, to really feel that there was a community around that. Sounds like it was part of something really special. Uh, and really pleased to have it in the film festival. Yeah. It's, a, it's a wonderful it's choice. But if there's a, a lot of documentary or people are choosing more non or fiction or how non-fiction plays in. It's interesting. We I thought when we started doing this that in my, my, my brain, the shortest genres are documentaries and animations. Mm. We've had a couple of animations now, a Disney, a Dumbo, <laughs> a Toy Story as well. No documentaries, I don't think. And this is our first documentary and first essay film. So it's uh, it's great. And it's, I think it's sort of broken the seal because I, <laughs> I genuinely thought it would mostly be documentaries and animations. Right. And where people are finding very sort of like 80s comedies, 80s American really? comedies are mostly under 90 minutes. Got a lot of those. British filmmaker Shane Meadows seems to work almost exclusively under 90 minutes. So we've yeah. got two Shane Meadows. It's, 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 it's all sorts, really. It's such a weird... Uh, if you wrote the line out on paper, it's uh, we've got films from 1941 right down to 2018. <laughs> it's so hard to choose. I mean, I think it's like a, a, a challenge to be like, you can choose one film. Mm. And I was just like, gosh, it's like when you talk about a, a book, too, it's like there's, there's too much to talk about. Absolutely. Like, you can talk about this stuff for days. So I was like, the shorter means that you can kind of like really get into it and talk about it. Absolutely. And I love that I haven't chosen any of these films. Right. I'm just watching them with, with our guests. So it's 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 not got sort of a single voice. It's got the voice of everybody who's participated, mm-hmm. which at the moment is about 20 people. So, yeah, it, it's very unique in that respect. It's kind of like the film. It's like you're assembling all of these things together. And mm. and from that, it's we're really seeing like who you're interested in and hearing what they have to say. And then, you know, when you listen to the podcast, you have like a good idea of of just different ideas, different perspectives. We're going to present New York as a Big Apple at our film festival on the big screen. How would you like to present this to an audience, if you could do anything? I think that for me, I always like when people just have no idea what they're getting into. I actually met my husband at a film seminar called the Flaherty Film Seminar, which is a week long and you know who the curator is, but you have no idea what the films you're going to be watching are each oh, wow. day. You have three screenings a day, and you know you don't know if you're going to watch a four-hour durational film. You don't know if you're going to watch a bunch of shorts or like something that's animated. Like it's completely you just trust the curator, mm. and so I do really like that methodology of just being like, I'm here to watch a thing, and like Sam, it's up to you. Like yeah. <laughs> roll it. I think that that's kind of the best way to enter something is just to. Let it be what it is. Don't read too much about it before you see it. And then hopefully once you see it, you're like, I want to read everything about this now. I want to just go deeper and deeper into what this has opened up in my mind. The advertising for this film, just a title, no other information, start time, people watch the movie. I think that's a great, great marketing. <laughs> we have the plan. Maybe we'll make a button too. Maybe we have like Mr. T's <laughs> oh, crushed apples uh, available for people to enjoy afterwards. That would be perfect. Yes, we'll have, I think nourishing people after the screening also would be excellent. We'll have apples <laughs> available. It's perfect. Are you a fan of a post-film discussion? I, I am. I think that they can be done very well and I think that they could be done in a kind of lazy way or I think it's really about the moderator I'm sure you would be excellent at, <laughs> at doing that you you have a good flow and, uh you kind of know where where things are going I I think it's I think it's really important to have the filmmakers present and also just to be generous to hear what they have to say but also 
I love also hearing audience feedback and things that they're hearing from it because sometimes you can get really locked in your own vision and people bring it up and they're like, this is what I saw. And you can just be like, wow, that's so that's actually there. That's totally legitimate, even though I didn't necessarily plan that or do things to bring that out. But yeah, I see what you're saying. At Union Docs, we always have the filmmakers present and have a discussion with them and they can go on for like an, an hour or like an hour and a half. Like people can really get into it. And it's I think that dialogue is some of the best things that can come out of making a film is really having a space to talk about the what's what's being brought out in you and in, in seeing these images and sound. I think that's great. We've got a, it's a 90 minute slot. The film is 10 minutes, 32 seconds. So that's 79 minutes and 28 discussion. seconds of discussion. Great. We'll have crushed apples, have a nice chat. I think we should make a bit of a thing of reuniting these two filmmakers that, that uh, would, as well. That would be and amazing. And we can go into their journey and then they can just listen to what the audience thought with a delicious crushed apple <laughs> in hand. Applesauce by the end of the 90 minutes. Awesome. Okay. Well, I think this is going to be a fantastic screening. Thank you very much for coming on to the podcast Thanks and choosing so this movie. Where can people hear more about what you're doing uh, online? Uh, so Say Something Bunny has a website, saysomethingbunny.com. We also are on Instagram. I'm ASM Kobayashi and Say Something Bunny is just that, Say Something Bunny. And Union Docs, there's always stuff to do there. Come by next time you're in New York. Hopefully it'll be warmer. <laughs> uh, but we're, we're, we also have like a brick and mortar screening room at 322 Union Avenue and always am, are excited to bring more people into that space and share ideas about nonfiction. I think it's great. Yes, it's always good to see these types of films because in conventional cinemas wouldn't play a film like this, but I think a chance to see it on a big screen in a communal space uh, just changes the experience. So I would highly recommend that. Uh, that sounds fantastic. Uh, I'd also recommend seeing Say Something Bunny. Uh, oh, you've thanks. got shows uh, planned sort of well into 2020, aren't we they? just extended through January. Oh, wow. Yeah, so um, I think earlier this month we put up a bunch of dates and we're doing it until January. So. Oh, so listeners, if you're in New York or you're visiting New York anytime soon, please look it up. I, I highly recommend it. I think it's, it's a lot of fun. And you get a pin at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> but don't read anything more. I've, to- I've already told you too much about it. <laughs> you might get a pin at the end of it. We cannot guarantee. <laughs> if you're good. If you're a good audience member. <laughs> so thank you so much, Alison. Thanks that so much was, for uh, having lovely me. Lovely to talk to you. And thank you, listeners, for listening. Please do subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Uh, we're also available on Spotify and all good podcatchers. And we have a website with uh, transcriptions the show at 90minfilmfest.com that's 90filmfest.com you can contact us there or on Twitter and Instagram at 90minfilmfest thank you to Silk Factory for supporting the show today Uh, we've recorded this episode in their wonderful studio they've got this great studio in in Soho always fun to record podcasts here and they also make trailers videos social media things so check out their work at silkfactory.co the show was produced today by Louise Owen and me, Sam Clements. The show is edited by Luke Smith. Our music is by Martin Osterwick. And our artwork is by Sam Gilvey. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Bye.